You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once asked this question. He asked, would it be easier to be a follower of Jesus when you were around Jesus? Would it have been easier to be a disciple of Jesus if you were able to walk with him, to hear him with your own ears, to see him perform miracles in front of you? He asked this question, would it have been easier? Now, whatever you think of that question, and I don't want us to focus on Kierkegaard's answer to that question, I want us to hear Jesus' answer to that question. From John chapter 16. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you. You cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Did you catch these striking words of Jesus? It's for your good. This, he says, is cause for joy, not grief. I told you I'm going away and your hearts are filled with sorrow. You're stricken with fear. He says, but it's for your good. It's to your advantage that I'm going away. Why? Because he says, I am sending this advocate, the comforter, the paraclete, the spirit. Who is the spirit? Who is so good that it's, all, it's best for us that Jesus leaves and sends him? In Jesus' words, he is the one who is an advocate for us. He is the one who comes to comfort us. He is a person. 
Now, sometimes there's confusion in Christian theology and in Christian worship and in Christian witness. People sometimes try to wield the Spirit or use it as an it or some kind of impersonal force or some kind of force field or some kind of instrument. We go bowling with it and try to knock people down. Sometimes this confusion is kind of understandable, at least to some degree, because some of the ways the Bible talks about the Spirit make it sound as if the Spirit might not be a person. The Spirit can be referred to as wind or fire. I get that. But the overall biblical picture is that the Spirit is fully personal. The Spirit is lied to. The Spirit is grieved. The Spirit is angered and so on. And importantly, here Jesus uses distinctly personal language with reference to the Spirit. I, he says, will send him to you, and he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and wrong about righteousness and wrong about judgment. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. And Scripture teaches, and the Christian tradition is recognized and affirmed, that the Holy Spirit is as completely and fully God as the Father and Son. That is, the Spirit isn't sort of divine. The Spirit's not God-ish. The Spirit is not a lesser or lower-ranked deity. No, the Spirit is fully and completely divine. As the creeds will put it, homoousios with the Father and Son, equal to the Father and Son, as fully God as they are, but now present with God's people. Now, it's one thing to say all this. It's another thing to really believe it, like believe it to our bones. It's one thing to say, yeah, I had foundations and we know this to be true and I passed the exam and I'm good on the Holy Spirit. But it's another thing to really believe it. It's another thing, it's one thing, you know, to celebrate Advent and Christmas, but it's another thing to really believe that Pentecost matters. That the, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit because Jesus says, it's going to be good for you. It's better for you. What's the alternative? To say that the Holy Spirit isn't real? Not personal? Not really divine? Somehow doesn't matter? Now, this is what Jesus is telling us. It's, he says, it's good for you that a guy go away. How could anything be better than that? He says, it's good for you because he is coming. He is as fully divine and fully personal, as completely real as the Son, now sent and given to God's people. That's who's coming. That's who's here. That's why Jesus says, it's good news. What will this Holy Spirit do? Jesus identifies three main things the Holy Spirit will do. He says the Holy Spirit will convict the world about sin. That is, the Spirit will expose the true situation. The Spirit will bring it out of darkness, will put it in light. And this is so important because our world is full of confusion about sin. There's widespread denial of the very notion of sin. There's rampant confusion about what it is. At the social and political levels, there's corruption, there's injustice, there's wickedness. You look right 
and you look left and you see it. You look up, you look down and you see it. You look anywhere and you can't help but see it. At the personal level, there's corruption. There's injustice. There's brokenness. And so much of this seems hidden. So much of it, it just seems like gets unpunished. So much of it is shrugged off with callousness or arrogance. I mean, just to be blunt, to be really honest, doesn't it sometimes seem like sin reigns? Sometimes it just seems like in our world, in our hearts, sin has the last word. What Jesus promises is that sin does not have the last word. He says the Holy Spirit will come and convict and enlighten and reveal and show. The promise of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit will bring it to light, will convince of sin, will convict of sin, will bring it out in the open, will not leave it unpunished. The Spirit will convict the world about sin and the, the Spirit will convict the world about righteousness. Jesus says this, he says, it's because I'm going to the Father that he will do this. That is, having convicted the world of its sin and its pseudo-righteousness, its fake righteousness, the Spirit also convicts the world of real righteousness. This is unmistakably legal language. Kind of rare in John's Gospel, but it's right here. The resurrection and ascension of our Lord, he says, I'm going away, demonstrates that he is the righteous one. And our hope is in him and his righteousness to whom the Holy Spirit points us. For John, as no less than for Paul, and for all of us today, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The Spirit convicts us of and reveals the unrighteousness and wickedness of the world and points us away from that to our Savior. He points us away from our sin to the righteous one. He convicts the world of its sin and the promises that he will point the world to the righteous one. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin but doesn't throw us back upon ourselves to fix ourselves. No, God doesn't say, this is how bad it is, now go rescue yourselves. No, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin and to convince the world of the one true, only hope for righteousness and justice in this world, the only true hope for holiness in a broken, filthy world. The Holy Spirit has come to bear witness to the righteous one, Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of its sin, will convict the world of righteousness, true righteousness, and will convict the world about judgment. Jesus says here, he says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world, in his words, because the ruler of this world already stands condemned. Let's not miss the depth and intensity here. Let's not miss the irony of this. The twisted and warped values of this world so often seem victorious. The injustice and oppression of the present order so often seem invincible. But here he says, 
is the great reversal. The one who appears triumphant already stands condemned. And the one who suffers the greatest injustice, Jesus Christ himself, is already promising victory over it. No wonder then that though the prince of darkness is grim, we tremble not for him. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is coming and that's going to be good for you. He says, I'm going to go away because he's going to come. And the one who's coming is as fully divine and fully personal and fully real as the Son. And he says, this is what he's going to do. He will expose. He will convict. He will bring out the wickedness. He will point people to the truly righteous one. And he will show this reversal of judgment. Now let me quickly draw two lessons for us. First, we cannot miss the fact that the Holy Spirit does this, yes. But as Jesus teaches us, the Holy Spirit does this directly through the lives and testimonies and witness of the followers of Jesus. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit's work, but it's the Holy Spirit's work through God's people. Now, sometimes I hear Christians say, well, we shouldn't make moral judgments you know, that's not really our business. That's just God's job. I'll be really blunt with you. That is a pile of nonsense. It might be really well-intentioned nonsense. It might be humble nonsense. It might be pious nonsense. It's nonsense. It's also an abdication of our responsibility as followers of Jesus. For as followers of Jesus who are filled with the Spirit, we are to be passionate about seeking holiness and righteousness in the world. God's people, at least when faithful, have always been willing to call evil, evil, and good, good. Whether we see it in slavery, whether we see it in genocide, or whether we see it in the mirror. The Holy Spirit is here promised to believers, but for the sake of the world. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit who does this, but it's the Holy Spirit who does it through God's people. So the Holy Spirit does it through God's people. And to accept anything less is to walk away from what God has called us to. But secondly, we simply cannot forget that this is ultimately about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, so often, doesn't it? Just, just being honest, doesn't it seem like the forces of evil are insurmountable? Whether we see them on a global scale, whether you see them in your own life, doesn't it just seem like the evil wins most of the time? It simply isn't so. When we speak for the oppressed, when we stand up for the defenseless, we are not doing so alone. When we point people to their only true hope of salvation, 
when we point people to the righteous one who offers righteousness, to the holy one who graciously offers that we can share in his holiness. When we preach Christ and him crucified, we're not doing so alone. When we see the evil in the world that seems so vast and so powerful, when it seems to be so deeply entrenched and we may be tempted to despair, we are not alone. When we see the results of neglect and abuse, when we see the bruised and frightened faces of children, we must remember that the one who calls on us to make a difference does not leave us alone. When you turn on your computer late at night and that blue screen calls you to places you should not go, when the urge to sin just seems too strong, you must remember, we must remember that the one who calls us to purity and wholeness does not leave us alone. When I was uh, your age, I remember after a, uh, a long evening of basketball and a, and a tough loss. Some of us were sitting outside of our dorm. Uh, we were up on a balcony enjoying the, the warm air, cool, and the, the, sun, the starry night. And we were just hanging out together, what we called chilling. And we looked over and across the neighboring parking lot, we saw a group of guys that didn't, we didn't recognize. And we kind of noticed in them and wondered what they were up to. And then I noticed one of them had a bicycle. And the bike looked vaguely familiar. And then the chain fell off. And then it looked very familiar. And I realized it belonged to a friend of mine, Jean-Marc. Jean-Marc had showed up literally with the clothes on his back and one small duffel bag. He had escaped from Haiti during the 90s when a death squad, he told us, was targeting his family. He had come to us with almost nothing and someone had given him this old bicycle. I recognized it was his bike when the chain came off because we all knew that his chain came off all the time. And these kids who had taken the bike from our campus to the neighboring parking lot had his bike. And when the chain came off, one became angry and he picked the bike up like head high and he just threw it on the ground. And then he picked it up again and he threw it down again. And something inside of me just kind of snapped. And so I just started walking directly across the parking lot. And there was a group of those guys there. And they weren't up to any good. And I clearly remember thinking, I do remember thinking, I don't want any trouble. I don't want a problem, but I'm going to get that bike. And so I just started walking directly toward them and the bike. And they noticed I was coming and they started saying a lot of things and they weren't very nice things about me or my mother. They were threatening to do lots of things to me. 
they began to threaten me and, and curse. And, and I noticed that as they were doing so, they were backing up. And honestly, I remember this clearly. I did not want a problem. And I remember, keep your head down. Don't, don't get into it with them. I remember thinking, I'm just going to go get this bike. But something inside of me at some point noticed, for all the, for all the things they're saying and all the threats they're making, they're backing up. And the closer I got and the more they backed away, I remember having this little feeling that started to come along. Yeah, they know better. They don't want none of this. And then I got all the way to the bike. And at that point, they had left it on the ground and they were a few feet away. And then I realized this flash of recognition, dude, you do not have a good plan. Because now what am I going to do? I can pick up the bike and try to walk backwards? That doesn't look good. Plus, I might trip and fall down. Or I could pick up the bike and turn my back to them and walk away. And that didn't seem like a good idea at all. And I realized I did not think this through very well. But I remember thinking, I'm in it now. So I didn't hesitate. I picked the bike up. I turned on my heel and started to walk back. And as soon as I turned on my heel, I realized why they were backing up. Because right behind me was the appropriately named Greg Burley. All six foot nine and 265 pounds of them. They weren't backing up because of me. They were retreating because of who was with me. St. Paul echoes the teachings of Jesus when he says, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Do you hear that? God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. God has given you. God has given me. God has given us nothing less than His Holy Spirit. What more could we ask for? Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, convict us of sin, cleanse us for service, empower us for witness. These things we pray in the name of the one who promised us that this would be for our good.